Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled uh, episode of that 401k podcast this week's topic. We're going to talk about life as a 401k plan sponsor not being fair. As we know, you know, life isn't necessarily fair. But of course, first things first, live events. This is going to be Friday. The episode is dropping. I'm actually recording this on Monday, which uh, means I got to do 50 million things before I board my plane at 7 p.m. And one of those is recording this episode. You record on Tuesday. Um, since I'm getting back Wednesday night, might as well put this one in the can and, and deal with it. But uh, we will be in Miami on June 24th. Uh, go to that 4 for further information on all our live events as well as Charlotte in October. We'll have an announcement soon about September, what we're going to do and what I hope to do and whatnot. We'll see what happens. And, uh, of course, go to that 4 for further information on all our live events. Now, uh, really, you know, life isn't fair. I, I think, you know, that that's, uh, I, that's something I've always realized I, I don't know maybe we had to do with the fact when my grandfather died before I was eight you know I, I had so much more time I, I wanted with him and you know you realize life isn't fair uh, he had a 12 year old daughter um, life wasn't fair for her I look at some of the other situations in, in law school where I felt like the ball didn't exactly drop the way I wanted to um, it wasn't fair there either but that's the nature of being a 401k plan sponsor it's a great employee benefit, but it comes with a whole host of headaches uh, if the plan sponsor just doesn't manage well. And the first thing, obviously, is, you know, the, the 401k plan sponsor wears two hats. Uh, not only the plan sponsor, they're also plan fiduciary. Um, you know, that's two hats for one retirement plan. And uh, it reminds me of college. I used to, call, used to wear a lot of new era baseball hats. Now I, I don't wear it as much because I got a lot of jerseys and you can't have you know, a hundred something jerseys and a hundred something hats. It was, you know, something had to give, but you know, the nature of being a plan fiduciary requires the plan sponsor to have the highest duty of care and law and equity. And you know what people do with their own money is one thing, but once you handle the money for somebody else, you got to be on better behavior. You know, uh, it's like in the movie Spinal Tap where Nigel Tufnell is telling Marty DeBerge, the, the director of the documentary that, uh, Toughnell Nigel's amplifier goes up to 11 because it's one more uh, above 10. And I think the care level for a plant fiduciary also has to be an 11. Uh, too many foreign came plant sponsors out there have a kind of a set it and forget it uh, mentality where they set up the plan and, and never look at it again. Uh, you know, again, I always bring up uh, my old law firm where, you know, Listen, uh, until I got there, they didn't review funds for 10 years. They didn't have a financial advisor in the plan. They didn't give any education to plan participants. That was a walking disaster. And, you know, you know, I, I told the HR director, listen, you can be, you know, personally responsible for all the losses of a plan participant. That's not something you should, you know, strive for. This is something, you know, you should have done. You need to, uh, you know, be on top of things. And, uh, you know, there's personal liability involved for people who are um, serving, you know, as plain trustees, as plain fiduciaries. It's, it's a hot mess. And that's why it's important for plan sponsors to be on top of things. Um, you know, unlike health insurance and the free coffee, uh, a retirement plan is the one benefit that a plan sponsor really can't afford to ignore. You know, always, why do I always bring up coffee? The reason I always bring up coffee is because I worked at a TPA shop. Um, and, 
the only time employees, you know, so I left uh, under murky circumstances. I, I quit to go somewhere else and whatnot. And we had an employee over there who was, you know, sick and they kind of put him out to pasture, put on a disability. That's not when the employees yelled. The employees yelled when they got rid of the free milk for the coffee. So that's why I always bring up coffee. Anytime I talk about employee benefits, I will always bring up coffee because of that story and because I don't drink coffee. Uh, but that's that. It always reminds me uh, of the scene in uh, Airplane 2, Airplane, I think Airplane Part 2, uh, the sequel, uh, where Elaine is, you know, as the co-pilot is saying everything that's going wrong. You know, we're we're tad off course. And I believe that's Patty Deutsch who asks her, what's a tad? About a million miles off course or something like that. And the asteroids are smashing the hull of the ship. We are, you know, our, our, we are programmed to fly into the sun. And one of the guys, actually one of the passengers from Airplane, the first one, whose wife, uh, you know, didn't feel that awful since that Ronald Reagan movie. He says, are you telling us the whole truth? And she says, no, we're out of coffee. And that's where everybody goes crazy, which is uh, just a ripoff of a scene in the first Airplane. But neither here nor there. Next on the list, hiring plant providers and liability that goes with it. You know, I've been a risk attorney for almost 25 years. You always hear the cry of the plant sponsor who hired a bad uh, plant provider and the errors that, uh, you know, the plant provider caused. I always talk about the $3 million lawsuit that a plant sponsor got because their actuary never bothered to do any valuation reports over 25 years, period. And the DOL was led to believe that the plant sponsor uh, embezzled money from their own plan. And... You know, a, a TPA. I think it, it needs to be said. You know, a TPA by itself is not a third. Is not a plan fiduciary, uh, unless they take on that role as a 316 administrator. Uh, their mistakes obviously are going to cost the plan sponsor. Sure, uh, you know, you, you certainly a plan sponsor could get them to pay for you know negligence, but the bill, you know, the buck stop still stops with them. So, for example, I just had somebody call me up, TPA. One of those uh, t uh, one of those payroll provider TPA plans. Uh, there was a screw up in the QNEC, and uh, she wants, you know, paychecks or ADP to pay for the error. And I said, you know, they will only pay so much because their their um, defenses they're not a fiduciary, and their defenses well, the plan sponsor would have had to pay it anyway. You know, you can't, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, some accountant screwed up on a tax return and the um, individual had to pay money and back taxes. The only thing that you could say that the accountant is really responsible for is the interest uh, that applies to the amounts that were owed. Uh, that's how I see it from a legal standpoint. But, uh, you know, the buck still stops with the plan sponsor. Uh, even hiring an ERISA 316 and an ERISA 338, you know, uh, fiduciary, uh, plan sponsors still on the hook for hiring them. Sure, they delegated a lot of liability on the day-to-day -day, uh, aspect of it, but, you know, that's how it is. Uh, and there is no magic pill that could absolve a plan sponsor from all liability from running their 401k plan. Even, you know, being charged, even being an adopting employer to pool the employer plan. It's, it's still there of liability if you know, the plan, you know, the, the, the employer picked the wrong pep. Um, again, all a plan sponsor could do is limit potential liability, and the best way to do that is good practices and hiring good plan providers, as well as reviewing the work that these providers do. Uh, next, 
Goldilocks and cost. Uh, you know, my my mother-in-law would always talk about Goldilocks and you know the story and she her her emphasis on it had to be just right and so I always use that long after she's passed on. And uh, you know uh, the story of Goldilocks is it had to be just right and I feel that's the way about planned costs. Um, you know I I started in the industry when. There was no fee disclosure regulations. There were no fee disclosure requirements. So plan sponsor had absolutely no idea how much they were paying in administrative costs, which was a problem when they had a fiduciary duty to pay only reasonable plan costs. And how do you do that if you have no idea how much you're, you're paying? It's, it's like the, uh, you know, it was last weekend, uh, was my, last week was my 50th birthday. Uh, no, I don't need any happy birthdays belated. I'm just not big. But, you know, there was, uh, Saturday was, you know, a few days after my 50th birthday, and Mother's Day was the following day. So um, you go to Peter Luger's, and Peter Luger's to me is my favorite restaurant. Um, in terms of steakhouse, um, to me it's the best. I don't know. It, it, you grew up as a kid from Brooklyn for a long time knowing that Peter Luger was the best. Didn't go to Peter Luger until I was in my, you know, until I was like 29. But anyway... Uh, the I don't I don't think it's beautiful, but the interesting part of Peter Luger is they do accept debit cards, but they don't accept credit cards. So, you know, you have to bring you know, a wad of cash, and, and I did, and it you know thankfully was enough. But you know, at least I got the bill, and I realized the four hundred dollars I brought paid for dinner and then some, and the tip, and there were still like eighty bucks left over. And the problem with the plan sponsor is back in the days pre fee disclosure, they were given a bill and they didn't know how much you know the thing was. They didn't know how much their plan was, and that was a problem, and that ended. But, of course, with fee disclosure regulations 2012, you had a lot of plan sponsors worried that, you know, uh, plan sponsors are only going to go for the cheapest provider. It was going to be a race to the bottom, which really didn't happen. Uh, transparency and technological achievement have helped lower costs as well as transparency. It's caused competition that you didn't have when nobody knew how much everybody was making. And for the plan sponsor, picking a provider that's just cheap is just dumb. It's just really, really dumb. Um, you know, fees have to be reasonable for the service provided. If you want a, you know, a higher level of service with more bells and whistles, you could make, you could pay more for it. Uh, the problem with fee disclosure regulations is that most plan sponsors do nothing with the fee disclosure forms. You know. Um, and that's the problem. Too many plan sponsors take the forms, throw it in the back of the drawer, never look at it, throw in the garbage like I do my bank's privacy statement. Plan sponsor obviously needs to benchmark fees. You know, foreign key averages book is great. Shopping around on the providers is also a great idea, but it's got to be benchmarked to show that it's just right. Next, obviously, the misconception about participant-directed investments. I grew up in the industry when uh, everybody was moving to daily valuation. And it was interesting because in those days we didn't have a website. Everything was done by paper forms or by phone where they would change the investment. Uh, obviously, by 2001, uh, the Internet grew up a bit. And so the provider I worked for actually had a website called Smart Plan, which really all it did was give you an account balance. And then they further updated it, and then you could change your investments on the plan through the website. But, you know, the big part of the go-go 90s was every mutual fund was making good money. You know, the returns were sky high, 30-something percent. Uh, telecommunication funds were fantastic. Uh, 
Janus, you know, if you owned one Janus fund, felt like you owned them all. The rates were going, uh, their, their return rate were amazing. And there was a big push by the mutual fund industry for plans to go from a trustee-directed plan to a participant-directed plan. And one of the big selling points was 4-4-C protection uh, for plan participants uh, losing money in the accounts. And, of course, in those days, nobody cared because everybody was making money. You know, when you had Janus 20, I don't even remember, 99 or 98, they made like 80-something percent. I, I don't even remember. The numbers were just sky high. Other funds as well. And um, there was a push. And the problem was they never explained to the plan sponsors that, you know, there were the whole things you had to do to actually limit liability under versus 404C, like developing investment policy statement, like having an advisor, um, you know, review and replace investment options based on the criteria in the IPS. You know, they, they always forgot about giving participants education. Because again, in 99 and 2000, uh, 98, 99, 2000, everybody was making money in the plan. Uh, unless you put it in money market. Um, but there was always that catch. Nobody bothered to tell a plan sponsor, hey, by the way, you got all this stuff to do. That's why we always, I always bring up my old law firm's plan. Uh, that was a problem as well. Uh, and and that, that's obviously the situation. And, uh, you know, ERISA 404C is not a suicide pack. It's not an all or nothing uh, proposition. Plan sponsor will get enough protection based on the compliance aspect of it. You know, the more education, the more uh, diligent they are with uh, investment selections, the chances of getting sued are, are, are obviously limited. Last but not least, highly compensated isn't what you think it is. And, you know, and I'll do I, I deal world. I think that, you know, in my opinion, 401k plans should operate like 403b plans. As long as there's a universal availability requirement, which allows everybody to defer, um, then we have no need for an ADP test, but that's not the law. The law means, you know, one of the basic, you know, tenets of qualified retirement plans is that you can't discriminate in favor of highly compensated employees. And, uh, you know, my definition of what's highly compensated is always different from the IRS's definition. Um, as somebody who's made $135,000 or more, and I made it years ago, I can tell you I didn't feel highly compensated. When I had a you know $3,000 mortgage with taxes, when I had to pay 250 bucks to the train or whatever it was, I didn't feel really rich. But the IRS in 2022 says you're a highly compensated employee if you make $135,000 more or you're 5% owner. And again, if you live in a large state like California, New York, Massachusetts, Illinois, you don't feel rich. You don't feel highly compensated employee. I think that if you lived out out in the plains, you know, and you're living in a mansion for $300,000, maybe you feel highly compensated employee. But the problem is, is that uh, the ADP test looks at that $135,000 salary. It looks at the deferral rate of the people making above one hundred thirty-five dollars and making below it. And essentially, if, uh, if the... ADP of the HCs exceed uh, the ADP of the NHCs, the non-highly compensated employees, the people making less than $135,000 by more than two points, plan fails. Also, if the combined contributions of all HCs may not be more than two times the percentage of NHCs contributions. So it's this whole test. And either way, you fail, and um, that's not fun. Same thing with the top-heavy test. If 60% of the money... 
resides in key employees, um, you have a problem. And obviously, the definition of key employee is a little bit different than HCE. Um, you know, officer making more than 200K or a 5% owner making more than 150. Uh, it's not it's not fun. It's not fun to tell the plan sponsor you got to make a QNIC uh, in the matter of an ADP test or refunds or in the matter of a top-heavy test, you know, having to give a top-heavy minimum contribution. So it's not fun. It's not fun, nor it's funny. It's 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 a pain in the rear end, and you know that's an unfortunate part, and that's the pain of being a 401k plan sponsor. And I hope you enjoyed this truncated episode of that 401k podcast, as I still have a couple of things to do on my list, the honeydew list, before I jet off for a seven o'clock flight tonight to Phoenix. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast, and um, stay tuned for you know further episodes, and of course go to that 401k site.com for information on all our live events. Thanks.